and he's Dutch. So I actually knew why the Dutch have wooden shoes. Like nobody knows that because things called water. You know, it's a country that it's underwater. The Dutch have to think about if you don't protect the country, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to drown because the country's underwater. So that's why Dutch shoe, you know, and so it's a mindset that he has about protecting the downside. That's the main thing to the system. It's great. Make a lot of money. You could lose a lot of money. And we've seen it all the time. And uh, so the main thing is avoid going against the cycles. That's the starting point to uh, our backgrounds. Today's conversation is going to be a bit different from my usual format, but in an interesting way. My guest is not a trader. And in fact, he's somewhat similar to one of my most popular guests so far. And he was not a trader either. Instead, they both deal with forecasting the future of markets and economies around the world. But whenever I do this, I feel a bit uncertain how you, the listener, will react and receive the information I'm about to share. But what convinces me is focusing on why I'm doing the podcast in the first place. And it boils down to three simple questions. Number one, is what I've created here or contributed here distinct, meaning it's different, but it's not crazy? Number two, is this my most excellent contributing meaning? Did I put a lot of hard work into it? And number three, is the heart in it? Meaning, am I doing this with the mindset of service, helping other people in this world? Is there emotion in the work? Something that is so often left out from the corporate or media world that we live in? And the answer for me is yes, yes, and yes. But of course, I want you to be the judge of it. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup Larsen. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged, where my goal is to give you the clarity, confidence and courage you need to invest like or invest with one of the top traders in the world. It is the stories you never get to hear set out as the most honest and transparent account that I can make of what goes on inside the minds of some of the best investors in the world. Today you're listening to episode 85. If this is the first episode you've heard, you might want to go back and listen to all the earlier conversations. This is David Gerwitz, Managing Director of the Charles Nenner Research Center, and you're listening to Top Traders Unplugged. Thank you for doing this, David. And by the way, if you want to read the full transcript of today's episode, just visit the toptradersunplugged.com website and sign up by clicking I'm in in the top right corner. It's that simple. Now let's get started with part one of my conversation. I hope you will enjoy it. David, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. Niels, it's my pleasure. We know each other several years and I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Fantastic. Now, David, you're just my second guest 
who work with predicting where markets are heading as opposed to managing money using systematic rules or discretionary inputs. But in many ways, your approach is very similar since you are only looking at data to make your predictions and you do it in a very quantitative way like many of my previous guests. And also, you're not trying to predict what causes the markets to move in a certain direction as you base all your research on cycle analysis. So we will get into all the details of the cycles and and how and and why they they form. Um, But I wanted the listeners to know, as you rightly said uh, from the beginning, that you and I have have, uh, had interactions before. In fact, I have been a subscriber to your services uh, a few years back. And um, as far as I recall, it is important for me to always say to people that I, I bring you on because I believe in your work And uh, I feel this is something that will add value for all types of investors. And that's what my podcast is all about. And in fact, my only other guest who falls into the same category as you, namely Mahendra Sharma, is actually one of the most popular episodes on my podcast. Uh, So I'm really excited about our conversation uh, today. It will be very different to the usual format as instead of talking about investment methodologies and concept concepts, we're going to talk about you know very market-specific uh, terms and share some of your predictions uh, at a time where we will definitely very soon know what is going to happen here in Europe, where Greece uh, is about to have a referendum. So we're going to try to cover all the major sectors, some world events, and people will get a feel for at least what you are seeing uh, in the time ahead. And of course, some of the listeners will be stunned to hear what you say. And frankly, many will probably be very skeptical about the concept. But let's just see if we can't convince a few of the people to be open-minded about your methodology and the fact that you have indeed for more than a decade made predictions about financial markets and other things that have had a very accurate track record. But... Before we jump into all that good stuff, uh, David, I just want to ask you a simple question, which I try to ask all my guests to appreciate the many different answers you get. And it goes something like this. If you meet someone for the first time who haven't met you before and they ask what you do, how do you explain what you do? Well, it's a great question because in the world of diminishing attention span, you used to have about 40 seconds to answer. Now you have 10. Right. Well, being that I've been in the media quite a bit and they're going to interrupt me after 27 seconds, I have a 27 second answer. Great. I hopefully can get to 10. The answer is, um, I don't start counting it till I say, okay, no. <laughs> the answer is that I'm managing director of Charles Nenner Research Center, founded by Charles Nenner, who was at Goldman for 15 years, and he came up with a system to predict markets and other things based on repeating patterns. And that's it. That's the 10-second answer. Now, it works for stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, economic indicators. It also works for intake rates of insane asylums and hemlines and records and all that stuff, because the assumption is patterns repeat, and the focus is on cycles, which come from now that we're in the week of the Greek waiting, the Greek drama, cycle comes from the Greek word meaning circle. Absolutely. And our basic philosophy, Charles came up with this while in medical school, was that top to tops in any data series, and I'm going to explain that obviously, sure. 
um, when they are looked at in a different way, which I'll explain also, can help predict the future. Absolutely. That's, that's it in a nutshell. We're not talking about duration, level things. So that's kind of what we do. We don't manage money, which is unusual for your um, interviewees who are all so far, except for the other person you mentioned and myself, they're actually press buttons buy and sell. We don't. Sure. And I'm always amazed that people do that. I'm glad they do. I'm glad we don't. We just predict where we see things are going to go or not go. And we're human, so it's not always right. That's I want to put that on the table. It's (laughs) usually right. And there's a large audience. There's 8 billion people in the world. There are sovereign wealth funds. We have several of those. They have a rather large amount of money. There are family offices. There are many, many thousands of those. We have quite a few of those as clients. There are hedge funds. We have many of those. There are individual traders. There are institutions. And so each one of those uh, categories um, requires a different thought process and a different way of dealing with them. Some are stock focus, bond focus, commodity focus, currency focus, global macro, everything. And so our system, which we'll get into, I think has been somewhat helpful to all the different categories. And we'll get into it as we talk. And I look forward to it because you and I, you know, you have been a client for many years. And again, I'll stress the European piece of this. Um, Charles is from Amsterdam. And yes, he, I'm actually going to interrupt you there, David, because I, you are streaming way ahead of me and all my notes here. So okay. in, order for, in order for me to keep up, I'm going to stop you because I do want to hear the background of you and I do want to hear the background uh, of Charles just to stick with my normal script. So before we get into too much of the business and all the, the, the cycles and all of that, let's stay with you and Charles and tell me about, I mean, you, you decide who you want to talk about first, yourself or Charles, but, but let's hear the background because... As, as in the other guests that I have on board who manage money, who produces a track record, my personal belief is that you can't understand the numbers if you don't know the story behind them. So I definitely want to know the story behind Charles and yourself. And then we get into all the great stuff. So, so please take the floor again and, and tell, us about, uh, tell us about you and Charles. Sure. So I will start with me briefly. There's much more to say about Charles. <laughs> He's much more interesting. I'm an attorney and a CPA and an MBA. I have three degrees. So people think that I know stuff and that which we disagree. I'm a, <laughs> I, I went to law school. I went to college in Boston and then played semi-professional basketball in Spain where I learned Spanish 1976. I'll say it in Spanish. Un año después de muerto de Franco, one year after Franco died. Okay. And uh, so I'm I'm somewhat European <laughs> focused for a kid from the Bronx, New York, who grew up by Yankee Stadium. And I talk to Europeans, they do know what Yankee Stadium is, so I can mention it. Absolutely. So, uh, but I, so I was in Europe and then I came back and went to law school and I did a bunch of, I I worked for an accounting firm. I got my CPA from Coopers and Librand, my MBA from NYU, formerly known as NYU Business School, now is known as Leonard Stern Business School. He gave a lot of money and, um, they changed the name. It's yeah. funny. It's Se- funny how it works, isn't it? So Se- it's funny about that. Several years ago, I ran into him in an elevator, uh, maybe 15 years ago. And it, I met my wife at a, in front of the elevator at NYU business school. She was just finishing her MBA 
And I was just starting mine. Coopers and Library sent me to go take courses while I was doing expatriate tax returns. I was working from six in the morning to 11 at night between work and school, but I learned a lot. Hard work never bothered anybody. That's much we could put on the table. So I saw Leonard Stern years later and I saw him in the elevator. I knew it was him. And I went up to him and I thanked him. I said, look, I went to the school that's got your name. I met my wife. And he right away said, you should pay me a commission. (laughs) I smiled. I said, you got three billion. I'll make it. I pulled out a ten dollar bill. He said, "That's okay. I'll let you slide this time." You know. <laughs> but, so I went to business school. I worked at Coopers and Library. I was involved in several different industries before. I actually, many many years ago, the founders of Highbridge, uh, Dubin and Swieka. Sure. Uh, they're friends of mine, and you know, back in the old days, Paul Tudor Jones and Lewis and Zach Bacon were. In 85, 86, 87, we're not managing the kind of money they're managing now, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're talking pooled futures trading is what it was called back then. Wrap accounts, you know? And so I knew about that stuff and we were a little involved with it. So I I knew that side of the business. I no, I never thought about research. And frankly, I don't think to this day people think about <laughs> research. And here we are in it, one of the biggest in the world. Research, whole nother thing. So I knew the world back then. And then um, I met Charles about 15 years ago after I had been involved with um, some real operating businesses with real stuff, mm-hmm. trucking and, and supply distribution and manufacturing. And, and I met him and I, I have to talk about sports a little bit now. Sure, absolutely. I, I'm a trained athlete. I played, I tried out with a pro baseball team when I was 15 and I played semi-pro basketball in Madrid. That's what I was there, 1976-77. And I was trained by a gentleman named Red Auerbach, who may not mean anything to Europeans, but he put together the Boston Celtics in the old days. For 30 years, they were always really great teams. He picked great people. He coached them. I was trained by him. I knew him quite well. It's a whole story how I knew him. And so I was, and still am, a talent scout. And I think that's a real talent in and of itself to know how good other people are or aren't, sure. which means you have to know your, yourself and, you know, your own limitations to be able to look at how good someone else is. You can't have a big ego and think if you have a big ego, it's hard to recognize the talent in others. And being that I'm not 42 anymore, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I find that talent can continue to grow. So I met Charles about 15 years ago and I knew he was extremely bright. How did, how did you meet him, actually? I'm just we, curious. I, I moved to a community north of New York City. Okay. And he was living there. And I was introduced. And again, you know, I met him. And, he, you know, I was asking him, what do you do? And he <laughs> said, I'm a doctor. And I said, really, where do you work? He said, you know, Goldman Sachs. <laughs> I said, okay. Does, and here I am, the sports guy, Bronx kid. Said, does that mean when they're trading and they sprain their ankle? They, they, they put them on crutches and bring them down to your office and you tape them up because that's what a doctor would do at Goldman Sachs. Sure. And he said, no, I tell them how to trade. And I, you know, I didn't make fun of him because I think if someone says something, they may be right. Sure. You know? I'm sure. just, I, so I said, OK, you tell them how to trade. And he didn't. He, this was two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. He said he looked at me and he said in, in his Dutch accent, you know, he speaks eight languages or something. He said, I guess you don't believe me. I said. No, it sounds like it could be true. He said, next week we go down. So we drove down to lower Manhattan. Mm-hmm. 
And we park and we go into a building down there and it's a Goldman Sachs building. And he walks in and he had a pass. He had a little thing that said, Charles Nenna Goldman Sachs. I said, yeah, I'm starting to believe you. And they said, hello, Mr. Nenna. We get in the elevator. We go up to whatever, the 17th floor. And someone else says, oh, hi, Mr. Nenner. I guess they didn't see him that often. And I'll tell you why in a second. And we walk into this monster trading room that's from the movie Wall Street. Wall Street, yeah. Michael Douglas wasn't there, but everybody else from the movie was there. It's Goldman Sachs back then when they really were a hedge fund. Sure. They're not anymore, but I think they really were then. And I'm walking in with Charles. This is 15 years ago. He had a laptop. It was a little slower than they are today. DOS program. <laughs> <laughs> Cycles, just like we do now, which we'll talk about. And as we walk by, people are like giving him a standing ovation. I right. said, you know, and we walked into some office there. I'm not going to mention any names. Mm -hmm. Hey, Charles, how you doing? And turns out he was really working for them. He didn't need to go in. He worked at home, got up at four in the morning. Things were much slower then. Data, of course, program. So he had to get up earlier. Now it's so much faster, obviously. And he was supporting the bond desk, the prop trading desk, and other parts of the firm and it, on his system, and which I'm going to explain. And so, and he was an independent. He was not an employee, but he was full-time there. And I was able to start a business with him afterwards. Sure. And, you know, we got on, I, I somehow got him into the Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. and a person named Greg Zuckerman, who wrote the book about uh, the great trade, John Paulson, the greatest trade ever. He, so he wrote, the, he wrote the first story about Charles and then CNBC, which we'll talk about, picked it up. And that's how, that's how the business got started. That's a great story. It was a really yeah. interesting story. So I was, the, I was Red Auerbach. It was like I picked up Larry Bird and Bill Russell. You, you're European. I don't know if you know these people. But yeah, like, yeah, sure, sure. It's like sure. mentioning Pele, you know, I guess. Yeah, exactly, exactly, sure. So that's how it started. It was me, the kid from the Bronx, causing the trouble. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've been that way since I'm seven, so nothing's changed. And we built a very nice business. We have clients all over the world. We don't manage money. We send out a report, which you have gotten on stocks, bonds, commodities, currencies, and economic indicators, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then charts on Sunday, which we'll talk about in detail now. And that's how the business got started. And he's Dutch. So I actually knew why the Dutch have wooden shoes. Like <laughs> nobody knows that because things called water. Right. You know, it's a country that it's underwater. Sure. And so the mindset of the Dutch, look, I'm talking to a European, so you understand it better than I, but I, my father was from Poland and he fought for the Russian army. So I grew up with a European mentality. So mm -hmm. I've worked with Charles. I understand the European mentality, you know, and the Dutch have to think about if you don't protect the country, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to drown mm. because the country's underwater. So that's why Dutch, you know, and so it's a mindset that he has about, protecting the downside. That's the main thing to the system. It, it's great. Make a lot of money. You could lose a lot of money. And we've seen it all the time. And uh, so the main thing is avoid going against the cycles. That's the starting point. And then everybody's different. Sure. You have fa family offices. Well, we'll talk about all that yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's like the starting point to uh, our backgrounds. Sure. No, absolutely. Great. Excellent. I appreciate that. Now, before we go into the detail forecast uh, for, for 2015, and we need to talk about 
you know what cycles really are and and why they work and 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 certainly in 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 my uh, past and in in my career i've come across people who has to some extent i would certainly say convinced me that uh, things are not random and that time is more important than price because when you're in the market and you know it's time to get out of a long or a short position it doesn't really matter what the price is because you know you just need to get out so i'm not an expert so i'm going to learn a lot from uh, our conversation uh, today but am i on the right path in 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 that's the way you view it as well that the time is more important than price or and i i do know that you combine these things as well which i'm also interested in in, in, in exploring and, and learning about, but, but why don't you talk a little bit about, um, you know, cycles from a very sort of um, bottoms up uh, point of view? Okay. That's, uh, you asked about four questions at once, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to break it down one by one. <laughs> so I'm, going, I'm doing it in the non-CNBC way. I ask four okay. questions, then I shut up. And, we'll and... get to CNBC. All right, okay. We'll get to them, believe me. Okay. I might as well start with them now because we, I've been in the media a hundred times, Charles. The media, right? Right. Gives you 35 seconds to speak. Okay. And most of the time they'll ask in advance, what's your... Big call. I want the big story. Mm. Sometimes there's no big story. Sometimes things are sideways. Sure. Right? We'll talk about Greece in a second, but that yeah. kind of, they have to sell news, you know? So the media and the statements made and it isn't the business. The business is, as you have seen, very detailed. This is cycles are topping, bottoming. Here's our level. Here's our direction in, in the, in, S&P, NASDAQ, Dow, the DAX, um, the AEX, the FTSE, the VIX, the TSX. I mean, we've got people all over the world. They need to know this stuff. The bonds, the 30-year, the 10-year, the uh, TLT, the long bond fund, TBT, the short bond fund, BUNS, which obviously Americans don't know. <laughs> I but we do. <laughs> German BUNS. Exactly. Look, I'm the American. I'm the English guy, right? So I edit everything because it's sometimes written in Dutch English, right? So sure. I have to edit it, and I always write German Bunds because people – I know you could laugh at this, but you know we're just Americans, and we have our limitations, right? They don't know what Bund is. <laughs> One of the limitations. Sure. You know? One of the things people love about us, we're brutally honest. So yeah, that's what know. it's all about. Yeah, listen, you know, I remember when I was younger, the teacher said, David, you're not a good lawyer. You, you got to be really smart to be a good lawyer because you have to remember everything. So just tell the truth and that's it. And that yeah. was like eight or nine. I said, you know, that's that makes sense to me. You know. <laughs> so um, and then we talk crude, not gas, and we cover four currencies, you know, the euro, the yen, the Aussie, the Canadian, and then the euro again. That's during the week. That's the pizza we sell, we, we write three times a week. And then on weekends, we cover everything else. Sure. So you, in a course of a month, you'll see everything in the whole world, the, the China and the, the, the Nikkei and the, and the Sensi in India and all that stuff. Cause we've got people all over the world, sure. but, um, cycles. Let me tell you how Charles started the business. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating that's one thing, but how sure. to start the business because that explains what cycles are. I mentioned before the Greek word circle. A cycle. Yeah. We all know about the four, the three month weather cycle, the seasons. Sure. Everybody knows that. 
and everyone thinks of a presidential cycle every four years. Everybody knows that. What Charles did, let me tell you how he came into this, and then you'll understand how we do it. Mm-hmm. So he's he goes to medical school in Amsterdam, late 70s. You know, this is, he had been a chess, you know, a high-level chess player and a trained violinist from Itzhak Stern in many languages, and he had studied martial arts. He was a very talented man, sure. very talented man. Sure. And he's in medical school, and the professor said they don't understand why certain psychotic behavior seems to show up around the world always at the same time. Let me hold that aside. Mm-hmm. A month earlier, the same professor had said, we find that around the world, emergency rooms put more doctors on call during a full moon because women give more birth, give birth more often during a full moon. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. There's some cause and effect. It's interesting. The Hebrew word for one of the Hebrew words for moon is the same word as the word for womb, W-O-M-B. Oh, okay. So there's a connection, full moon and womb. Okay. Kabbalistically, let's go there for a second, right? That makes sense. So a month later, the same professor said, we've got this psychotic behavior pattern. We don't know why. And Charles said he raised his hand and said, must be during a full moon. And the professor said, Mr. Netta, what do you think? We didn't think of that. We checked it. We don't know why it didn't correspond. So he scratches his head and says, okay, maybe there's some reason. I don't know why. He came to New York with a friend okay. in the early 80s. And the friend had some meetings. And there was an, a show on back then. There were no business shows. There was no internet. There were no business shows. And a, a man by the name of Neil Cavuto, C-A-V-U-T-T-O, who's, I guess, still on Fox News now, got up and said, IBM, I forget, is either topping or bottoming because of this. <laughs> and Charles didn't know anything. And he said, well, how do you know why it's topping or bottoming? And he said, maybe there's some pattern People don't know. You can't say because earnings or this. But, uh, so he goes down to the 42nd Street Library. Have you been to Manhattan? Yes, but it's been so, a while. Right at 42nd and 5th, there's a big library. Mm-hmm. Big park. Used to be the place where the, where the, where the aqueduct for Manhattan was. Right. The border was all held at that spot. So he went in and he, he asked the librarian, could I have the last three or four years worth of Wall Street journals? I want to look at IBM prices and took a while to pull them out. There was no internet, it was all paper. Mm-hmm. By hand, he started to track and see there was a top every seven weeks, let's say. Right. Different prices, obviously, but a top, a top every 11 weeks, a top every 18, a top every 24, a top every 40. So he charted it all on a piece of paper and he found all of those quote-unquote cycle tops were topping that week he happened to have been in New York and that's the reason he figured was the top in IBM right not the reason Neil Cavuto gave Mm -hmm. so he said that must be how everything works that if you look at many cycles and where they're all confluencing as we say in English where they're all lining up it must be that all those cycles are indicating a top. Now, a lot of times, imagine you go take an EKG, right. you know, you get your heart checked, and you see those, and you let's say you, you overlay them. That's a great word for traders, overlay, because we're like the overlay, the overlay to a lot of other trading. A lot of traders, some of the people you've interviewed, who are some of clients, they use their own systems, and 
we're just part of that. They, they use us to see if we agree with them. We'll talk about that later. So if you overlay cycles, one on top of another, going back as long as you can, and the more information, the better, it, that's how the cycle system works, that we're assuming the past pattern, as long as it's exact. If you don't have something every 25 weeks, every 16 weeks, you have no way to, to be exact. You have no way to be scientific. This is very, very scientific because otherwise no predictability. Hmm. So the computer has to find cycles and then we eliminate some of them in order to make the leftover cycle line combined using Fourier analysis, another brilliant um, European mathematician. If, I don't know if you've been to the Eiffel Tower. There's, when you go up there, they have all the, a lot of the former French brilliant scientists and mathematicians. He was one of them. Mm-hmm. And he, he figured out a way to combine vectors. So we use that to combine all these cycles to see when they're all topping or bottoming. And if you look at our charts, which you've seen for years, that's how we come up with tops and bottoms. And so we, we, we hope that the remaining cycles we've left after we eliminate matching what has happened in IBM or crude or Euro or Nat Gas or the Bunds or VIX or whatever, if these eight cycles are matching up with what's happened, we're assuming that's all we could do, that those eight are running the show for that category. And therefore, the continued future cycle line, which we can project, is going to predict what's going to happen. That's, Mm -hmm. in essence, how it works. So by definition, we can't be right all the time because it's human. The, The data could be wrong. We may have eliminated the wrong things. And we admit that, but it usually is right. Mm. And just gives you direction, does not give you level. How many how many cycles in total do you do you look at or do you track, so to speak? Well, every traded everything traded we have. Yes, so no, I'm, I'm talking about actually, the market. You're okay. saying within a, let's say IBM. Let's just pick IBM. Yeah. Whatever the computer finds. It's not like there's the people there are certain cycle people say there's a 19 year cycle that's right. a 40. We don't look at it like that. How do we know? How do I know Apple cycles? Until I look at Apple, I can't say there's a fixed cycle. How do I know a Facebook I can't do yet? I don't have enough data. But ha- like, you know, corn, I've data for 500 years. So I can literally find cycles and then whatever the computer says. It sometimes it only finds 20. And again, we ask it based on end of day data. Right. We ask it the end of week, end of month, end of quarter, end of year. So we have different cycles. And if you think as a person, look at your own life, we go through cycles. And so it would make sense that a asset would have its own history. And so we're tracking the past of it to see how it goes into the future. So that's kind of the assumption. It's a deep psychological point I just raised. Sure. No, let me digress a little bit from 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 what you. I just want to ask you uh, something that I have come across in 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 sort of my uh, not not my you could say my my professional uh, career as such, but more as a hobby because I I, I have studied. Uh, Uh, another form of, of of cycles and um and this is back in in sort of the early 2000s and i was um attending a seminar essentially by a guy who you know definitely believed that time was more important than price but he had problems with uh well what he found was that these cycles were you know the projections were a little bit 
uh, uncertain when it came to when is the actual time of, of a top and when is the actual time of, of, of a bottom. So he tried to mathematically define all of these things so there couldn't be any, it, it had to be black and white for him. So he ended up um, something that, that I have uh, you know studied and, and I, I have to say, I, I th- he certainly convinced me that it's, it is correct. But what he found was that if you take a 28-day cycle, for example, and you take it for stock markets, that actually all stock markets, and, and we're talking about indices, I don't know specifically about individual stocks, but certainly indices, that they will all have 11 turning points in a 20-day cycle. However, that particular 28-day cycle from time to time may invert, meaning there's an extra turning point. Yeah. So, but some cycles and, you know, there's definitely, you know, a four-year cycle. And, and as you move into, I don't know whether you use that as well, but then there is some of the astrological base cycles, like the 19-year cycle, which is the metonic year, and, and other cycles. Um, some of these cycles, there are no inversions. It's always the same number of turning points. But what he found was that actually, if you then go to, say, precious metals, it may not be 11 turning points every 28 days. There may only be eight, but it will be the same within the same sector, oddly enough. Uh, or maybe it's not so odd, but that's what he found. Is, is, have, you, have you found some similar observations uh, about these things, even though it's a different way of looking at it? No. <laughs> Can I be so? We have not. Okay. <laughs> we just find that every category has its own history, and that's all we focus on, and we don't, project that it leads to other things we're not that smart <laughs> we don't we're really not that smart to assume why if the canadian currency is doing something or the aussie because they're quote-unquote commodity currencies then crude has to follow no 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 that's not what i'm uh, that's not what i said either i just said that within stock indices then stock indices will actually have the same number of turning points within no. energy they will have the same turning points not no. cross Cross across yeah, sectors. We have okay. not found that. Okay, no, that's fine. Not found that. I mean, it could, be, could be. Listen, we're not the only people that have systems, and sure. there, I'm sure there are some very good people. You know, we just know this system for all these years. While it's not always right by definition, mm. it's generally been rugged. And it, what's what's interesting about it is it just takes price as the only thing we look at. We don't yep. look at anything else. Now, we, we look at price in terms of cycle, then we look at it in terms of target, which we'll talk about in a second, because that's the ideal. Sure. Like you mentioned before, it's time to get out. I don't care about price. And our attitude is if the price gets to, if the euro gets to 110, I'm picking a number. Yeah. And next week, if those two things were our targets, and that was the lowest target we had for price. And the cycle time was there. It's time to get out of your shorts or get out of being in cash and plan to go long. So we want both to line up. I wrote an article, which anyone listening could write to you and get, for Oil Trader, Oil and Gas Magazine. Sure, we can put it up on, on the show notes yeah, page. I'll send it sure. to you. Actually, yeah. now I'm talking to you. So I wrote it because we have a lot of, well, we have clients from all over the place. A lot of people in Texas. Now, crude oil. Let's talk about crude for a second because yeah. I can get into all these things. Sure. Crude, we called the top at 97 six or seven months ago, and it had been in a range for three years. No one thought it's going to 45. 
46, whatever it was, and pass up. And we do think it's going to go back up. That's the big picture. Four years ago, on CNBC, five years ago, Charles said, when crude was 147, if you remember, crude reached 147. I do remember, yeah. There's going to be something called deflation. <laughs> I was sitting about 30 feet away, and everybody snickered. What? Crude is 147. We're going to have deflation. Six months later, crude was 48 bucks. Sure. Why? He said, I have no idea. We don't know why. It came down a lot. Eventually, it got back up into the 90 to 110 range. It kind of stayed there for a while. All of a sudden, it plummeted. We think it's going to go back. Why did it plummet twice? We have no idea. <laughs> Why it's going back? We have no idea. In 2008, when we took everyone out of the stock market in the summer and we got yelled at, because things look good in the summer of 2008. And then the fall of 2008, we all remember. And then Charles on Bloomberg TV said, we're going to have a bottom in 2009. And he has not stayed long all these seven years. I wish we did. Or 2009, 10, up to now. But most of the time, what, everyone was hoping crude was going to go up then. It would have been a sign of economic activity. I remember people were always asking because they didn't know what was happening with the economic system. Mm. Lehman Brothers. If you, We all forget. It's kind of nice now, but nice. I mean, the market's been up a lot. Sure. But there was no QE up until that point. Um, but... Everybody thought the, the system was going to fall apart. So they were hoping there'd be crude increased because it, in, it would indicate demand increase. Now, if crude goes up, you got to assume if there's not the overall demand, if China's less, all the things people like to think about could be war, which we'll talk about also because sure, sure. the war cycle. So over time, the system, our system has called crude incredibly well. Why? We have no idea. I've absolutely, I mean, you can think about it afterwards. The news shows always have to have reasons. And they always laugh at me when I say to them, you guys, the next guest will give you the reason. I don't have any reason. You know, I was in London on Bloomberg about six weeks ago, and the guest, he, he loved the whole story. He said, you're going to tell me, speak to the next guest to get the answer. I said, yeah, because I don't have any answers. I just tell you we called the top and no one else did. So I don't know what else you want to hear if you were long i would have said get out anyone else giving reasons would have stayed in so who has a better story us being modest and saying we don't know why it works it just does or someone giving reasons with with number of tankers and this and that and i remember when isis a year a year ago newsmax interviewed me and said they had taken over their first oil well and said isn't this going to cause an increase in crude. And I said, according to cycles, the crude's going to go down a lot. I haven't been on the show afterwards. <laughs> so, but yeah. I was right. Yeah. So, but who, who remembers? So that's kind of a, an example of four or five things. One is the press, which we, you and I were talking about before. The press people are affected negatively by the press, in my opinion. Sure. That's uh, being, I'm in it a lot. And, the, the, a lot of times I give them the questions they ask me, so at least I'm able to have that type of conversation. But I don't think it helps. I really think the people should look at the research, talk to me, and that's what we do with clients. But secondly, crude, we think it's going to go back up. But in the meantime, you know, the Texas world has really gotten beaten up. 
Obviously, lift costs in Saudi is a lot cheaper. I mean, I know all this stuff. I have all these people that taught me the business, but is that a reason for moves in prices? According to us, no. Right, so let's stay with that theme a little bit before we move in. Uh, and, and, and it's not that I'm not eager to get to the nitty gritty of things. I am. But I, I want people to appreciate uh, a little bit more background because it's such a different topic, uh, you know, than, than, than um, what we normally uh, discuss. And, and of course, I mean, uh, in a sense, uh, most of my guests are ex- in, in the exact same situation as, as, as you are when you go into a, uh, into a media show because they're they are often you know using systematic rules which are not predicting but they're reacting to data so 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 i think the audience fully appreciate what you're saying uh, that it can be very difficult to um you know to to be exciting when you're always asked the why and 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 actually you 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 can't really answer that but what you can answer instead for me is some people are relating cycles back to you know what happens uh, you know uh, 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 far away from from planet earth namely uh, to do with sunspots and it's not that i want to go too much into that but i do think it's important for people to understand that there might be a natural or logical explanation as to why things like sunspots may have an impact on stock markets for example because most people don't make that connection so can you explain a little bit about that and 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 how uh, we humans might be be impacted by these things correct i will say right at the beginning while charles years ago mentioned it that sunspot cycles exist it is not one of the top things we use right that, no this is more for explanation purposes yeah but having said that you know if you go to the nasa site there are sunspots and if you look at the cycles on them, one could argue that tops in sunspots indicate a strong correlation to tops in equity markets and vice versa. It's not direct. It's not 100% clear, but it clearly is a fact that our brains are affected by electronic and electromagnetic pulse, electromagnetic pulse. Music. I happen to be a musician, sure, as you know, and so I know the effect of music on brainwaves. There's no question. So therefore, it's logical that the sunspots would affect people. How, to what extent, what cycles? Whole other discussion. But you know, a lot of people don't want to think that that type of thing would affect seasons. Affect us. Sure. Yeah. Sunspots would affect us. To be able to use it as the Predictive tools, very hard. We don't do it. We still think cycles and target are the main thing. We look at Elliott Wave. We do. We don't make it our main thing. And there are people who do who have really hurt people, I have to tell you, because we have a lot of clients who were trying to trade based on, is this a C wave up or down? And I go, (laughs) listen, it could be, but that's only if it lines up with the cycles and the target. Right. But to think this is the main thing. Anyway. Um, MACD, Oscillator, all these things we look at quite closely because it's important we look at what everyone else looks at and add our other few things that are unique to us. But as far as the uh, as the sunspots, it's a fascinating thing to start thinking about. And 
according to the big picture that we, we, we're seeing, which we'll get to more later, that stocks will not yet, but very soon be near a top for years, it seems to correlate with the sunspots. So that's an, another indicator reinforcing that, but it's not the main indicator. I want to go somewhere completely different and then I want to go back again. And it's something I picked up in, in, in some of your writings um, because again, this is, it can be very hard for people to be persuaded or convinced by if it was me coming out talking about systematic trading and the fact that, you know, the firm I work for don't predict anything, but for 42 years, they've had a, you know, an absolutely amazing, you know, uh, track record, uh, you know, on par with Warren Buffett, people probably wouldn't make that connection when you're not trying to predict anything. But also, it's, it's, it's about how we are conditioned. It's, it's, you know, it's what we, you know, are taught and learned and so on and so forth. And I picked up somewhere that if when you look at your client base, Actually, how people perceive your information, um, your forecast can also be a little bit different because in certain places on the planet, people are conditioned differently. India, for example, they might have a, you know, certain preferences in, in, in your forecast uh, and, and so on and so forth. Can you, can you share some of that? Uh, oh, sure. This is a great question. The Far East does full moon trading. You're familiar with that. Maybe not. No, not just share it. Even if I'm familiar with oh, it, sure. uh, you Hi. know there are thousands of people listening to us. So, so let's uh, let's get it out there. I'm north of New York, so I'm in U.S. time. Right. I don't sleep so much because at night deal with the Far East, in the morning deal with Europe, and the rest of the day deal with America and California. Right. But the Far East very much believes in cycles. Yeah. Very much. Very much. I never have a problem explaining the idea of it there, long term not a problem. Um, it's interesting, many U.S. hedge funds have moved to the Far East for technical reasons. They didn't want to deal with the uh, regulatory situation in America anymore. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but sure. I've had a bunch of clients that were in America, they're in the Far East, so I just swapped the time. We cover, by the way, we, we have specialty coverage of Australia, of Singapore, of uh, India, we have special things that actually cover each of that because we've got enough clients demanding it in the different areas. The Indians tend to be more positive. Mm -hmm. You know, look at their last 30 years. Look at India. It's an old country, but the last 30 years they've had like, boom, the sensei went from seven to 28,000. Yeah. You know, and long term, it looks good, by the way, according to okay. us. Okay. Um, every place is different. I have... You know, a lot of family offices um, in different parts of the world, they don't trade as much. They give part of the money out to managers. They very often will give X millions of dollars to a grandson and basically ask me to nurture the grandson, <laughs> right? <laughs> the, the rich kid. Sure. You know, and nice kids, by the way, surprising most of the time. They're rich, you know, and trying to teach them how not to overtrade and not to do. So the mindset is very different everywhere. Americans in the South don't know about currencies. Right. Now, I, I'm American, right? I met, you know, I met Charles, so I started thinking about the euro. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many people grow up, but you obviously, you know. 
We're in the middle of it. You're in the middle of it, so you well, know. We're not, but Switzerland is not part of it, so we're it's, it's so, so it's around it, yeah. Not part of it, but it's – so I'll tell you another story. Sure. Very yeah. interesting. I get so many stories. There, when the euro was 151, I'm going to tell a Yen story after that. When the euro was 151, five years ago, four years ago, something like that, mm -hmm. the system showed the euro was at the top. Okay. We had no mm -hmm. idea why. No idea. And – we sent out something, get out of the euro, and it could go to 122. Now, when we say that, by the way, we don't say go short. You could go short if this is our target, do what you want, because everybody's different. Three months later was the first Greek crisis. Right. No idea what was going to happen, but the system indicated something was going to cause the euro to come down. Which, by the way, a month ago, we, we were saying the euro is going to come up to a certain point and go down. So if you want me to reverse extrapolate, I don't know if that's proper English. <laughs> if you want me to extrapolate. I don't know. English is not my first language anyway, so don't worry it's, about it. It may be my first language, but I, you know, I hear enough of other languages. I'm not so sure I'm good at it anymore. The euro looks like it's at the top short term. Mm. So therefore, you want to argue Greece is not going to work? That's one way people would say. Sure. The and fact that we're at a state of existence arguing whether the Greek's going to go or not, or Puerto Rico's going to go or not, or everything else floating's going to go or not, we look at it as short-term craziness. Yes, it affects everybody. It's their focus. It's this. It's that. But there are greater forces from the past, is our whole claim, that tell us stuff we don't know what, we don't know why, before it all gets to the focus. And very often, we're right, not always. At gold, as an example, we called the top in 1900, and this has been down for four years, and this has been a very difficult bottom to call. Mm. This, you know, our system, so our attitude is stay out. If you go in, go in with tight stops. We had a lot of people from Canada and Australia who went in at 1700, and we said, don't stay in. Very hard after 11 years, gold went from 300 to 1100 to say it's not going to be more than a short-term correction. Because sure. that's normal psychology. But that's what happened. And so gold hasn't really, you know, Charles has said there's, he, the system has shown bottoms. It didn't happen. Yeah. So our, but our argument is, okay, if it doesn't happen, you have no downside. You go in assuming it's this level. And if it doesn't go, it doesn't go. So that also is one of the nice things about the system. While it may not be correct where it's going, the downside is extremely limited because we have such tight stops. Mm. And so our attitude, as you've seen, is, okay, stay, stay in cash. Try it with a stop. If it doesn't go, it doesn't go. So, again, it goes back to that protective Dutch mentality of make sure this, the country doesn't flood, keep the, keep the sandbags around. Sure. So I, I, we need to hear the yen, the yen example as well. Yen, but oh, but, but what? Yeah. The yen's been a hard trade. The yen's been a hard trade. We haven't, we, we, you know, everyone just say short the yen, short the yen. You know, when, when the, when the reactor blew up. Right. Two years ago, when was that? Two yeah, years ago? Yeah, sounds right, right. Now, what is the yen, what has the, the Nikkei done since then? I don't know if you, I'm not on the screen now, if you can take a look. No, I mean, Nikkei is up so significantly and, and of course the yen is down significantly. But so that's, we said yeah. that then with the reactor blowing up, it's not going to affect the Nikkei. Okay. Now, did we know? No. We had said a few months earlier, the Nikkei looked like it was going to be heading up. Then you had, but not yet. And so this thing comes along, which really looked horrible, right? Horrible. And sure. yet look back now a few years. 
So I guess what I'm saying is that in the look at all the different data series, when you, when you go the Far East, which is a longer-term view, when you take Europe, which clearly is a longer-term view, mm. when you take America, which generally has less of a long-term view, even though there's many pools of money here that are longer-term, there's a lot of brokers. We have a lot of broker clients with several hundred million dollars of client assets, and they, they're longer-term, and they use ETFs. And the ETFs aren't so good. Like, I don't like UNG for nat gas. It doesn't track anywhere near as well as the futures. Sure. But they can't do it because they, Wells Fargo doesn't let them or whoever. So people giving money to that type of a capital allocator, I'll call it, mm. I believe they're limiting their upside. Mm. Now, having said that, they're probably limiting their downside too because most of that money's all um, word of mouth. Like if you take your typical broker at a brokerage firm in America, I don't know what it's like in Europe, the bigger guys probably get 80% of their money from referrals. Mm. And yet their business has been traditionally 60-40 or 60-30 with some funds. They don't do many currencies in America. Europe, obviously they do because they know what a currency is. They haven't done too many commodities, right, in America sure. that I hear. I'm not sure this is proof, but I've heard enough that my own extrapolation is money isn't thinking in those places. And to us, that's been the best place for gain. Sure. So I guess the answer, the, the shorter answer to your question is the mindsets definitely affect the asset allocation in the different countries. Yeah. But but also what I heard you saying, not, not directly, so I'm obviously interpreting you, is that it's not that people can't intellectually understand that there are cycles that just, you know, certainly unless they live on equator, they know there are four seasons, for example, but it's an emotional problem for them. It's an emotional challenge more so about accepting maybe that, you know, it life is not how we have been conditioned to believe it's or, or the world works in a, in the way that we've been conditioned to believe that it should work. Correct. Correct. And that's not going to change. Sure. It's just not going to change. I spoke at Bloomberg six years ago. It's on the Charles Denner site. I gave an hour presentation. Charles was supposed to give it. He got locked out of the Bloomberg office in Amsterdam. And it was really funny. I didn't go in prepared. <laughs> I was so relaxed. I walked in. I could just introduce them, sit down, and then they couldn't get him on the phone. I had to do the whole thing, which was fun. But you're not prepared. But when I say prepared, I'm always prepared. I, I, you know, I'm always. You live and I, breathe this stuff. I breathe it. So, <laughs> but I remember they got him on the phone and they asked him, Are you, "Is anything ever going to change?" And he said, "No." Yeah. The mindset's never going to change because it's a very difficult thing to accept what we say, what we're claiming. It's, I and I'm used to it. So at this point, look, we have enough clients all around the world that obviously they get it. And it's, it's part of a whole system. Very few people just do what we say. Look, two months ago in April, what would have been the best trades? Long Euro, long Aussie, that gas, a couple, five things. How many people are going to do that sure. with their money? Very few. You know, a couple of funds that are very concentrated that follow us, they did very well. It's, in effect, our system is an alpha, alpha discoverer. Right. Alpha based on second moves, kind of it, mm -hmm. you know. So generally, the last 30 years, look, the market's up 18 times since 81. I'm, I've said this quite a bit in the press, but I'd like to reiterate it yeah, now. Yeah, feel free. 
listeners in 81, I got out of business school in 80, Stern Business School, as I mentioned, <laughs> wasn't then. And the Dow was, what, a thousand? The Dow was a thousand from 66 to 82, by the way. You imagine, people forget that. Could you imagine right now telling a guy, the Dow's 18,000 and it's 2015, and in 2030, it's going to be 18,000? And he'll say, how could that be? And I'll go, well, let's go back in a time machine from to 1966 and shoot up 15 years to 1980. Yeah. But, you, but uh, sorry to interrupt you, but you can just use the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is, what, 5,000 a day. It was 5,000 in 2000. That's 15 years ago. Well, we're going to get there. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. You, know, you know the movie Back to the Future? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. I happen to know the guy that wrote it because he was my camp counselor. Okay. And he said, it's a funny story, but how did they come up with a movie like that? He was he was in L.A., a guy named Neil Canton, actually. I mean, this goes back a long time. I haven't seen him in a long time. And uh, he was upset with his parents. And he went on vacation to Hawaii <laughs> with this other guy that was involved with the movie. And he said, you know, my father, you know, he's a good guy, but sometimes he drives me crazy. I wonder if he was not such a good guy when he was younger. And that's how they came up with the movie. <laughs> they made a lot of money sure. his father right yeah. so I look back now that I'm a little bit older and I've been in the business with Charles and he's you know we've, we've seen quote unquote cycles in a different use meaning what the world's been like the last 10-12 years change in trading what percent is institutional trading as opposed to individual the whole thing and then you look back to the guys who talked to me about what it was like in 70 to 74. You know, even Warren Buffett was down those four years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he, he likes sure. to admit. It's been pretty good since. So 66 to 82, the Dow is 1,000. It's been up 18 times. Yeah. Right? The bonds, right? Bonds, 1981, were 16%. Yeah. 17. They're yeah. now two. So if you just bought a – let's say there was a 50-year bond you could buy then. Let's say, and you bought it, and let's say there was a Dow ETF. I don't right. know what's that. Yeah. I don't know in '81 what existed, and you played golf for 33 years, and you come back. Somehow you got supported for 33 years. You come <laughs> back and go. Those are two of the greatest trades I ever made in my life. Yeah. But bonds at 18 percent now they're two. Who wouldn't want to give you all this money for an 18 percent bond today? Mm. Right. And the same thing stocks. I would. Imagine doing that same trade in 2007. I'm sorry, 87, 94, 2000, and 2007. Mm. You got beat up in sure. stocks, but you, you did well in bonds. So for one to say that stocks and bonds either go in the same direction, which they did for 30 years, or in different directions, which is what most people think, it depends to your timing. Yeah. Now, we think... I'm getting to the later part of the session with you, but we think longer term, they're both going to go in the same direction, which is not so good. <laughs> I, can, okay. I can guess but that, yeah. 30 years, these are great trades. Now, I can argue why that, what I just said is wrong. I, can, I know every argument because I have guys yelling at me all the time. Clients, I think rates are going to stay 1%, and I think the Dow can't go anything but way up. And we think the Dow's going to go way up. It just needs a four or five year detour till it starts that's pretty much in a nutshell the big picture and i i won't get that much more i'll give you some more as we talk but 
people should write in and, and, and look at our stuff. And even in the long term, we don't write about because, you know, other than sovereign wealth funds, who really cares about long term, you know? But that's kind of the big picture as we see the last 30 or 60 years ago. I was born in 55, 1952 rates were 2%. The U.S. government was selling U.S. savings bonds 2%. So the, that's been a 60-year cycle. And then in, 18, in uh, 1920, rates were high and had the depression not that long after that. 1890, rates were low. 1860 was right before the European, the unification of Italy, 1871, the Civil War. A lot of stuff happened. The French Revolution, 1860, rates were high. That's a 60-year bond cycle, which is going to repeat. Sure. Rates have to go up. And then people say to me, but they can't. Right, because all the old rich money now is staying in one percent bonds. It used to be not. I I know all these arguments, and they seem to make sense, except cycles say the opposite. Sure, uh, I'm going to ask you something, um, uh, and of course, I don't know as much about uh, history as as you clearly do. So I'm going to ask, and and I I will be very uh, interested in in hearing your your uh, answer. So, on on one sense, you say. You know, we had 30 years where, you know, equities have gone up very sharply and, 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 and so have bonds and interest rates gone down. And in th- are you saying that, that is it only for a shorter period of time that bonds and, and, and uh, stocks can actually go down? Meaning I'm not aware of a 30-year cycle in, in equities, meaning we can go up for 30 years and we can go down for 30 years. I'm not aware of that what does the cycle for equities sort of from a big picture point of view, because I think most people are familiar, or at least most people who listen to this podcast, they're going to be familiar with the 30 year bond cycle, but what what's the longer cycles in equities? I, I'm not aware of that actually. Equities, not the same. Right. So don't, you, they're two different creatures. Yeah. The bond cycle, you know, you say that you'd think they would know, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I was at a meeting with, I was in Manhattan the other day and I met with three family offices, different times, and then a law firm that does a lot of work in the hedge fund space. And I was talking about this and only one knew about it. Right. Because, you know, they they have money. They don't have to worry paying the rent next week. So they're thinking long term. I'll tell you something interesting related to this. You know, family offices their concern is return of capital, not return on capital. Sure, absolutely. So if they're sitting in a place that goes out, and look, Lehman Brothers, I had a friend who lost 24 million bucks. He was in Lehman, invested, and it's gone. So these things happen. We mm. know what happened with uh, you know, the, the Goldman Sachs gentleman's firm in Chicago. And, sure. uh, so these things happen. These are questions we get all the time. What do your cycles say about Rabobank? Right. What do you say? And we, we answer, you know, because what does it say about Bank of America? What does it say about Chase? Because will they be in business? Should I put my 50 million with them if it look, you look like they're going to be out of business in five years or six years? Interesting questions. I, again, just because we say they'll be alive doesn't mean we're 100% right, but at least it gives us some indication of the future. I'm going to come back to that because uh, I, I I have a, a question about that. But I just want to finish up on on my my first question. What is there? I mean, what does a big cycle on equities actually look like if it's not a 30 year cycle? Can you visualize what that is? Just for people to appreciate 
how they're different? Well, there is no cycle like that for equities because look at look at this century, you know, look at look at the way equities have been up to 66 and to 82. Yeah. You know, now, yes, there have been moves, obviously, before there was a crash. There was there were big moves. It's interesting. I don't want to talk about it much, but Elliott Wave, you could look at over a hundred, a few hundred years mm-hmm. when it started. Like, you know, the gentleman who's the most sure. famous Elliott Wave person is Practor, and he looks at a very big wave going back a few hundred years ago. And Charles, who doesn't write about it, doesn't talk about it much, he looks at it, he has a very long-term Elliott Wave look that is quite different than practice. He starts it at a different time. Yeah, I, and, um, I'm not going to go into the details, but fine. so we do look at that stuff also. Yeah, no, so, I was going to say about, I mean, certainly with Elliott Wave, I, I, I know that, and, and, and it's not to hang anyone out here, but, but, uh, but, but, you know, practice for sure, uh, probably the most famous one, but, but, but they have not been very accurate in my opinion. I follow that and I'll be bl- blunt about it. It's not I been very good. About, yeah. I have hundreds of clients who have come from there having lost major money Yeah, because like I said, it's something to think about for sure. But as a lead thing, I don't know how you could do it. Yeah. How does anybody know exactly what waves they're in? Years ago, Google was for something and thought it was going to go to 600. The way Elliott Wave works, you know, one up, two down, three up, four down, five, based on Fibonacci. You're familiar with that. Sure, 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 sure. And it's based on the, the golden mean. Yeah. Every number, every, if you take Fibonacci is one, one, two, three, five, eight, every number is the sum of the previous two. Yeah. So the ratio of each number, Two over three, three over five, five over eight, eight over 13, 13 over 21, 20 over 30. Each one approaches eventually 0.618. Yep. And so the retracement numbers are either 618, 1.618, 2.618, 4.618, some multiple of that. That's called the golden number. And it applies in the shape of faces. It's a fascinating thing to look at. In music, obviously, it's very prominent. So we cycles give you a look to see what retracement it's going to be. Because if you don't know what what a retrace is going to be, it'll be one of those options in a wave three. It could be a one, six, eight, two, six, eight, four. We don't know. But if cycles are topping at one of those exact retracement levels, then in effect, we can almost predict that's going to be the retracement and no more. It's like in Manhattan, if you take a train from 59th Street on the on the four, it goes to 86th and 125th and nothing in between. That's kind of how the cycle, that's how Elliott wave levels go, nothing in between. So our cycles are actually used internally to, to look at that. And uh, But again, it's not the main thing people should do. And they do sometimes. And I found, you know, unfortunately, a lot of pain. But to answer your question about longer term cycles in stocks, you know, we've had an interesting run from 66. We're now 50 years after 66. So for 15 years, it was flat. And for the last 35, it's up 18 times mm-hmm. with seven-year hits, right? Right. So that's the question. Where are we going now? Obviously, everybody wants to know. Sure. And you could argue, well, you have tech. You've got things you never had before, which is true. We've never had so much tech money when Uber goes public, how much money will that go? M&A looks strong. Drugs look strong. I mean, not all stocks are going to go down. 
but overall, based on the past, you know, cycles, we think that the next several years is not going to be great. Um, and so it's something people just have to think about if they're going to plow ahead in the same way they've done the last 30 years. And it's not so simple to do. And that's kind of our job to help advise people in that very difficult process, having lived through a, a pretty good run. Sure. Uh, of course, I'm not going to let you off that lightly. But before we go there, I, I want to understand something. Um, uh, and then I think we've covered all the basics. We talked about cycles, uh, how and why and so on and so forth. But the other thing I just want to uh, find out a little bit more about is your price targeting. Because on, on one sense, uh, for me at least, cycles means that you must believe that, you know, price is, uh, sorry, time is more important than price and so on and so forth. And, and cycles you can by observing them and overlaying them and all of that. I can, I can see that. I can understand that. Price, on the other hand, is to me much more difficult to predict. I mean, how do you know if it's going up? And when I look at your, when I look at the charts that I see from you, So as we bring this episode to a close, I just want to mention that David very kindly has offered a free trial to all the listeners of Top Traders Unplugged. And the way for you to get your hands on this free trial is to go to the charlesnenna.com website and in the right-hand corner there's a free trial button. Once you press it, a form will open up and as you fill in your details with your email address and name, you need to also go to the box called Where Did You Hear About Us and put in the words top trader or you can put in the shortening ttu that will give you a free trial i hope you will enjoy it and then it's up to you to find out whether this is something for you i hope you enjoyed this episode and i look forward to welcoming you back to the second part of this conversation where we go into much more detail about the specific forecast they have for the world markets Ready to learn more about the world's top traders? Go to toptradersunplugged.com and sign up to receive the full transcripts of the first 10 episodes of the show and visit the show notes where you can find useful links to other amazing resources. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of Top Traders Unplugged.